0: The teams you care about. Mac Jones is good. That's not the question. The question is, is he good enough to win repeatedly in this loaded AFC? The stories that matter to you. If I'm Dander Bogarts, I need three things in order to get over that insulting contract offer. This is your home for New England sports. Jason Tatum, superstar. Book it.
1: This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEVAM FM. And WDEVradio.com.
0: What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas show back at it on a Monday right here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Full show today, all 90 minutes. We're right up until 7 o'clock. Red Sox off today. They get ready for the Blue Jays tomorrow More bad news on the Red Sox in addition to the loss last night. We know Nathan Evaldi won't pitch tomorrow like he's supposed to. And he's now going to be headed to the injured list. Still not feeling good in that shoulder and trap area. We'll talk about Tyquan Thornton's injury for the Patriots. We'll break down the Pats' preseason win over the Panthers. Tons to get to on the Sox on the Pats, and we'll take your texts all show long at 802-585-3026. It's the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line. Your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. And you can also watch the show live daily on Facebook Live, YouTube Live, and on my Twitter account. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas show were brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber. They are Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. We are going to talk a lot over the next 90 minutes about the Red Sox, about where they're at, about where they go from here. We are going to get to all of that. I promise you. But first, we just need to give... For once, Major League Baseball, some credit. The Little League Classic is an absolute, without a doubt, home run. It is one of, it may be the best thing that baseball does. And baseball does a whole lot wrong. Baseball's got a lot wrong with it. We had a labor issue. We had a lockout. We started the season late. Some of you hate the contracts. Some of you hate the analytics. Some of you hate this. They're not great on social media. The stars don't promote the sport as well. Baseball has fallen behind the NBA and the NFL in terms of its popularity and has been trending downwards in popularity for years. Baseball does a lot wrong, it does a lot to hurt itself. The Little League Classic is without a doubt a home run. It is a win. Last night, aside from the Red Sox loss, last night was a great night for baseball. It was a great night for sports. And some of you out there probably think the Little League World Series is too overblown and they're only 12 years old. And some of you probably think the Little League Classic is corny. But I would tell you that you're wrong. Because last night was just great. Last night was just great. Great. What you saw yesterday from the time the Orioles and Red Sox got off the team buses until the time the game ended, what you saw yesterday was baseball in its most purest form. Yesterday, baseball was a game. Yesterday, baseball was fun. Yesterday, baseball was not analytics. It was not exit velocity. It was not... Uh, W-O-B-A, and all these other acronyms that most of us don't know what they understand. Yesterday, it was not about Rafael Devers' his contract situation. It was not about Xander Bogarts. It wasn't about High and Bloom. It wasn't about your farm system ranking. Yesterday, baseball was just a game. And it's the one day a year where baseball gets to just be a game and it gets to just be a Fun. Dylan Tate of the Orioles is asking the kid for Hawaii for his autograph. Christian Arroyo and Nathan Evaldi are sitting in the stands reminiscing about their little league days. Trevor Story is paling around with the kids from Tennessee sharing stories and answering questions like, Yes, Alex Cora is sliding down the hill on a piece of cardboard and talking for minutes and taking pictures with everybody on the Puerto Rico roster. Yesterday was an incredible way to showcase the sport. Again, the social media coverage of baseball isn't as good as the other sports. The offseason drama is not as good or compelling is the NBA or the NFL. We had a lockout. They only played 60 games in the COVID year when they could have played 100 because they were too busy spiting themselves over money. For all that baseball does wrong, yesterday is all that is good about the sport. And if you want to showcase the sport to the next generation, yesterday from sun up to sundown was a great way to do that. There were, without a doubt... 100 percent there were baseball fans for life created yesterday in Williamsport and there were probably many more at home that were intrigued enough by baseball to give it a serious chance Orioles players are sliding and racing down the hill you had kids giving their regions hats to the big leaguers you had Adley Rutschman asking everybody for their autographs. Kike Hernandez and Rich Hill are talking to kid reporters. Yesterday was just fun, and yesterday is what baseball is at its core. There are so many things in sports that we know are cool, but we know deep down they're just a money grab. Like, we know that. We know they're cool, but we know they're a money grab, right? The Field of Dreams game in Iowa, that's an awesome event. That is a TV product. That is a sponsorable product. That is at its core a money thing. The Winter Classic in the NHL is awesome. There are like 100 of them now. They are there for television dollars and ad revenue and bigger and bigger ticket sales. Playing a football game in London or in Germany Sure, it's novel. It's all about money. Last night to me did not feel like a money grab. Last night again felt like baseball. Yesterday as a whole felt like baseball in its in its purest form. Only 2300 people in the crowd, kids from all over the world. Fun interaction at the ballpark. Kids are dancing and kids are chanting. And you got uh, Hirokazu Sawamura pitching, you know, the pitcher for the Red Sox, showing his splitter to the kids from Japan who are from a region in Japan right by where he's from. You don't get interaction with big leaguers anywhere else. And you don't get big leaguers to let their guard down like they did yesterday. Yesterday, it was a deviation of From all the other stuff that professional sports is, it was a deviation from all the negativity that baseball sometimes has. It was just fun. Players are riding around in a silly-looking bullpen cart around the complex. Kike Hernandez is talking about his first home run that he ever hit. These guys are talking about when they fell in love with the game. I know the Red Sox lost, and that was tough, and it's bad for the standings. But really, yesterday is the first day all season that I haven't really cared about the Red Sox result. I wanted the Red Sox to win, but yesterday to me was not about the result. It was about the game. And for the first time, the only time all season, it was just about game the game and people recognizing how beautiful the game is and how incredible the game is i mean watching yesterday i'm thinking of my own memories right i'm i can tell you that the first team i ever played on was booth glass right sponsored by booth glass when I moved to New York, we finally got team, you know, we got to be a team that was an actual team. I was the White Sox at 9 years old. And then I can still remember to this day, at 10 years old I was the Dodgers, at 11 year old I was the Mets, at 12 years old I was the Diamondbacks. I can remember it all like it was yesterday. I can remember the summer where I hit a walk-off home run at the Westland Hills Invitational. I can remember all of that. All those memories come flooding back to you. The first time I got a jersey with my name on it, the first time I got a hat that was fitted and didn't have the little strap in the back. I can remember all that stuff. And that's what those guys were going through yesterday. The big leaguers going through that yesterday, the little leaguers sharing it with them. It's a beautiful, yesterday was a beautiful event. And it didn't feel like it was just a money grab. There's a Bunch of texts coming in on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Ross says, I think Roger Goodell has ruined football, but it hasn't been impacted much because it's a fast game with a lot of popularity. But yeah, football football is a great game too. It's a great game. They're all great games and great sports in their own way. Uh, Charlie says... You just hit it on the button why people should not be paid to play sports, especially the disgusting amount that is paid to people. That is Charlie there. Charlie, I I disagree with that. I mean, these players dedicate their entire lives to this craft. They You dedicate your life to a job. I dedicate my life to a job. You deserve to be paid. And if musicians and actors can be paid for our entertainment, so can athletes. So you uh, you and I disagree there. Peter says, I can't even imagine how magical it was to spend so much time with the MLB players and all the stars. Very much like a movie script come to life. The Little League Classic is great. Those players will never forget that experience. So awesome. Couldn't agree with you more. Magical night in Williamsport. I have been to the Little League World Series for one day. I have not been to the Little League Classic day. But just being in Williamsport in general is magical. Being at the Little League World Series in general is magical. I, I highly recommend that if you can go, you should. It, it was It's free to go. All you have to do is pay to park and walk a bit to get there. It was a blast. I loved it. Um, Lucas from Burlington. I agree. Uh, I thought yesterday was really fun. I didn't even realize they did this. How long has this been going on? Yesterday was the fifth Little League Classic day. They did it in 2017, 18, and 19. COVID knocked out 2020, and then 2021 and 2022. So yesterday was the fifth. Red Sox and Orioles were actually the 2020 game, so we had to reschedule. This is a reschedule from that because of COVID. Randall in Duxbury, do we know who next year's teams are? The rumor floating around last night, and they mentioned this on the ESPN TV broadcast, is Nationals and Phillies. And... I think you're kind of limited in terms of the team so you can have play there. Because the way they do this, right? Like the Orioles and Red Sox played in Baltimore on Friday, in Baltimore on Saturday, and they played in Williamsport on Sunday. So there is travel involved. So And it was same-day travel for the Red Sox and Orioles. So I think you're kind of limited to not being... like You can't be coming from that far. You have to be able to get to Williamsport pretty easily. So I think... The teams that can be playing hosts there, the Phillies, the Pirates, the Nationals, the O's, maybe, maybe Cleveland, like you're kind of restricted to who can go, at least from the host side. Like you're not going to be getting Seattle and Oakland to play there. Last year, the Angels were there, but again, they were playing a team that was more localized to that region. So, yeah, I think uh, Phillies, Pirates, Nationals, Orioles, th- those are those are the teams. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed Alex Verdugo sliding down a hill on a piece of cardboard with the kids. They won't forget that. I thought it was great. A couple of Orioles players, they were racing and and knocking each other off the cardboard. Uh, Texter also said, I agree. Yesterday's game was fun for all players, younger and older, and the spectators. Lifelong Red Sox fan from the 60s, but yesterday wasn't about a W for the Sox. It was a win for all who participated and watched, and the kid coverage was hysterical. I did not watch the kids cast. I watched just the TV version that they went over to the radio at the end of the game. But there were there was an 11 year old kid reporter who was out there in the parking lot interviewing guys off the bus, and she talked to Kike and Rich Hill. She was phenomenal. They actually had like a broadcasting coach talk to these kids that were part of the broadcast. They were great. So, uh, yesterday was a win. All the way around. Buster Olney was there on the coverage for ESPN. He's going to be with us later this week, as he always is. He'll talk with us about it from his vantage point. So it is the Brady Farkas show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. All right. That's the feel good moment of the show. The Orioles beat the Red Sox and they beat the Red Sox two out of three. Are the Orioles in a much better spot than the Sox moving forward? One Sox insider says yes. But I'm going to push back on that point. We'll be right back on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV.
1: Now it's back with the Parker Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. Radio.com. <laughs>
0: i tell you story Welcome back in, Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com Charlie says, thanks for what you do, Brady I enjoy listening as I make bagels in my bakery You're welcome, Charlie, appreciate you listening Let's get to the baseball stuff, right? Yesterday, we, the first segment was the feel-good stuff. This is the baseball stuff. The Orioles took two out of three over the weekend from the Red Sox. The Orioles are three and a half games ahead of the Red Sox, and the Orioles are now five games over five hundred. They are better than Boston right now, no doubt. John Tomasi of NBC Sports Boston said something very interesting the other day that I want to react to.
1: I have some very bad news for Red Sox fans. Uh, I'm sure you remember the 2015 Astros. That was a team that had lost 100 games for a bunch of seasons in a row. They came out of nowhere to make the playoffs. behind Jose Altuve and Carlos Correa and guys who were just getting to the big leagues. Two years later, they won the World Series. There is a very good chance that that is what the Orioles are right now. Uh, Uh, They are that far ahead of you in building a franchise. That gap is only going to widen. This may be the closest you are to the freaking Orioles for the next two, three, four years.
0: Do you agree with that? 802-585-3026. Do you see the Orioles as so far ahead of the Red Sox that they are going to lap you for the next several years? I'll be honest. I don't see it that way. And I've been hard on the Red Sox at times this year. I do not agree with what John Tomasi says. Now, I do agree that the Orioles are building well. There's no doubt. They have young players. They have real talent. They have the top farm system in the sport. So the Orioles are building well. That's not what this is about. I just believe that the Red Sox have a path out of this mediocrity here. And I got three reasons why. Reason number one. Is that it's very simple for the Red Sox to execute the plan that I have asked for this offseason. This offseason, the Red Sox can jump right back into the fray by starting to exercise their muscles. I've said I said it two weeks ago. The Red Sox need to make three big moves this offseason. One is re signing Rafael Devers, the second is signing one more high target acquisition. Sandra Bogart, Stansby Swanson, Trey Turner, Carlos Rodon, whoever. So, Devers plus one big signing, and then the Red Sox need to make one good trade. Find, look, there's always teams that are selling off assets, right? The Reds did it this year, the A's did it this year. Maybe next year it's the Pirates. Maybe next year it's the Marlins. Maybe next year it's the Tigers. Whoever. But go find those teams and go ransack their roster. The Red Sox have resources to get back into this. They have dollar resources. They're getting a zillion dollars off the payroll this offseason. And they have prospect capital. I'm not asking you to blow out the farm system. I'm not asking you to make five trades. I'm asking you to make one. Can you package Bobby Dahlbeck and two or three other prospects to go get a pitcher from the Marlins? Can you send Jaron Duran and two other prospects to go get somebody from, you know, from Kansas City, whoever. You have prospect capital and you have actual capital. The Red Sox have the resources to get things done to not be the woebegone franchise that John Tomasi seems to paint the picture of. They do have young pieces that have contributed. Cutter Crawford, Tanner Howe, Garrett Whitlock, Brian Bayo is here, Kim Connor Siebold, and Tristan Cassis. The cupboard is not bare for the Red Sox. So that's reason one that I think they can get back into it. Number two. This is a huge deal by the way and no one's talking about it. The schedule next season changes significantly and significantly in the Red Sox favor. The unbalanced schedule is is drastically changed and that's going to while it's going to help the Orioles, it's really going to help the Red Sox. Listen to this. As it stands right now, the Red Sox play exactly 50% of their schedule Against the American League East, 81 games against their division next year, that schedule goes down to 56 next year, the Boston Red Sox will play 56 games against their division. That is 25 less games against their division next year than this year. 25 less games against the really good Yankees. 25 less games against the really good Rays. 25 less games against the, the upstart Orioles. 25 uh, less games against the Blue Jays and Rays. Like, I get it. Your other division teams get that advantage too. But if you are talking about a wild card scenario at worst, The Red Sox would much rather have those 25 divisional games lopped off their schedule and replaced with more games against the Reds and the Diamondbacks and the Cubs and the Marlins and whoever else. Like, yeah, you're going to have to face the Mets and the Braves and the Dodgers, but you're also going to get the Rockies and the D-backs, like less games against the Yankees. This is a huge thing. The Red Sox have been killed within the division this year. The Red Sox are 16 and 32 against the American League East. Their season ended because of that. The Red Sox are 16 and 32 against their division. You take away that obstacle next year, and the Red Sox absolutely have a chance to get right back into it. Like, look, I'm a Mariners fan. You know this. The Mariners this year have a huge advantage, they have 57 games. No, I take that back. I need it. To- 57, 57 games, something like that, against against awful Oakland, awful Texas, and the awful Angels. Next year, they're going to lose that advantage. So they're going to come back to the pack a little bit. You're going to come back to the pack a little bit. And the positive way, they're going to regress. You're going to get there positively. The schedule altering is a huge deal here. The White Sox are going to lose the advantage of all the games against Detroit and Kansas City. right? 25 less games. Against those teams. I mean. You're going to get 14 games. Against your division. For, uh, instead of 19 games. Against your division. I mean this is. This is a huge deal. It's a huge deal. I Maybe mean, the Red Sox play 76 games. I'm sorry. They don't play 81 games. Against they play 76 games. So it's 20, you know, about 20 games less. Than their. Than currently, but still, regardless, twenty games less against the, uh, you know, against the Yankees, the the Blue Jays, the Rays, the Orioles. That is that is significantly better. So yeah, the Orioles are building something fun and good, but it's also fair to notice the Red Sox have a chance to get right back into it. And, And then number three, let's understand this: the Orioles have gotten quite a bit lucky, haven't they this year? Like, is some of the stuff they've done. Really repeatable. So you're so worried about the Orioles being ahead of the Red Sox. Not everything they've done is repeatable. The Reds the Orioles have gotten massive contributions from Rule 5 draftees and minor league free agents. Like Jorge Mateo and Rugnet O'Dor. Are am I not confident that they're going to turn into pumpkins next year? The Red Sox can find their own version of Jorge Mateo and Rugnet O'Dor. Like John Tomasi is coming off a little bit doomsday here. I don't think the Red Sox are title contenders next season, but they're also not destined for the seller for the next five years either. They're not an overnight fix, but they're not a five-year fix also. Uh, If you can have a core next year of Devers story, another big ticket item, and a good trade piece, that's pretty good. Then you can go find your own Jorge Mateo like the Yankees did and like the Orioles have done, and you're right back into this. So we're going to talk more about the Red Sox in the six o'clock hour, because I've still got a lot more to say on them. Dane in Rochester, can we lump the big pickup in with stabilizing the bullpen or starting pitching? Yes. I'm asking you to make two big signings. Devers is one, non negotiable. The other, go right ahead. If you want to let Xander Bogarts go and you want to sign Carlos Rodon to a big deal, do it. Do it. If you want to, you know, Make your trade piece trading to the Marlins for Pablo Lopez or Sandy Alcantara. Go for it. Look, and I am Bloom hit on Michael Waka this year. We don't have to like how healthy he's been, but Michael waka has been good. There's always going to be a Michael Waka or a Garrett Richards or a Martin Perez out there. Some of the young pitchers you have can maybe go to the bullpen next year if you realize they're not starters and fortify that. I am not as worried about the Red Sox as all of you are or as John Tomasi is. Uh, One more text. Tom in Callis, you've always advocated, Brady, for the Red Sox to build the farm system. Why are you now calling on them to spend big? I 1,000% believe that building a farm system is the best way to get a sustainable and repeatable winner in Major League Baseball. 1,000%. I think the Red Sox, though, have built it sufficiently, though, that they can make one big trade without gutting their entire system. I think they could trade Winkowski or Siebold or Duran or or, uh, or Dahlbeck. like I think they could trade any of those guys. I think they can make one good trade and not have it kill them. I've always said from day one you need to spend. you can't spend stupidly though. But you do use your financial resources to your advantage. JD Martinez is coming off the books. Nathan Nivaldi is coming off the books. Kike Hernandez is coming off the books. Rich Hill, Michael Waka, Christian Vasquez, uh, maybe Xander Bogarts. Like all this money is coming free. You have a bunch of it to go and spend. Go spend it. Spend it smartly, and make a, and make a big trade. Make a good trade. Red Sox, they can get back into this thing. The Yankees are good, obviously. Aaron Judge might not be there next year. Jose Trevino at some point will turn back into Jose Trevino. Will he not? I mean, I don't know if the Yankees don't regress next season. And that Jamison Tyone doesn't go back to being the Jamison Tyone know, that he's been lately for the last two months. That doesn't start that way next year. Araldis Chapman continues to regress. A lot of things can happen. The Red Sox are not destined for the seller. They have work to do, but with the financial flexibility and the schedule changing, they have every opportunity to get back into this. It is the Brady Farkas show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Kyle says, I would sign Devers now. So would I. There you go. Um, All right. CBS News update, and then I want to get to the Patriots preseason game against the Panthers. But Jason Tatum revealed he was playing through a very significant injury in the NBA Finals. I'll tell you what that was next on the Brady Farkas Show on TV. Your chance to be part of the show is on the text line at 802-585-3026.
1: Now it's back with Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com.
0: Welcome back in, Brady Farkas, show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, Radio.com. Reminder to download our full show podcast always. Subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and get it for free also there and at radio.com. Full show today, all 90 minutes. We are up until 7 o'clock, and then it's Jazz with George Thomas. An interesting revelation from Celtics forward Jason Tatum, and I don't want to spend a ton of time on the NBA, but over the weekend, Video started circulating from Bleacher Report of Tatum. He was being interviewed by Taylor Rooks, who's a reporter for Bleacher Report. Tatum said he played in the playoffs and in the finals, which the Celtics lost, you remember, with a small fracture of his wrist. Here's
2: Tatum in his own words. Um, had a non displaced fracture in my wrist. And it was like it was small, but it was still but like still, yeah. Like a, a non displaced chip. So, like, I chipped a bone, but it didn't, like, leave the surface, right? Um, but it has shown that the bone had grew over it, so it healed. But it was still pain. I was still in pain because I kept getting a hit or falling on it. Uh, so, like, I guess I played with, like, somewhat of a fracture for, for like, two months. Um, wow. And then in the playoffs, there was a play against, against Milwaukee in game three. Um, I dunked it. Giannis chased me down, and he fouled me, and I fell into the, to the um to like the crowd. And that was the most painful it's been since that day um, that I heard it. And I ended up getting a cortisone shot in my wrist um, that night.
0: Now, Tatum did not make excuses for his poor, his poor finals performance or any poor shootings. He was just kind of laying out what happened, but he was not using it as an excuse. But the whole thing is very, very interesting. I told you, kind of dating ironically enough, to that Giannis play. I remember it vividly what he was talking about. Tatum was going from left to right on your television screen, bottom of the screen, dunks it, gets flown into the crowd, Giannis falls, you know, falls on him, and Tatum got up gingerly. I remember from that point forward telling you that I don't think Jason Tatum looked right. Now, we had focused a lot on his shoulder. And whether or not that was right, but it turns out his wrist was the real issue. I knew something was bothering him. And like him, I I don't want to totally write off his poor shooting performance in the finals as just he was injured. I don't want to give him a total cop-out. But I defended Jason Tatum then, and I defend Jason Tatum now. He was not at 100% in the NBA Finals. He was probably not even at 85%. And when you are trying to win an NBA Finals against Steph Curry, your health matters. He still had games in the playoffs where he was great. He had moments where he was capable of playing well. Remember, he had 46 in game six in Milwaukee. So he had it in him to be great. But now knowing this, it doesn't surprise me that there was great variance in his performance. When you don't feel the same on any given day, it absolutely can have an effect on how you shoot and how you do. So, again, I don't want to give Tatum a full excuse, but knowing that he was injured, it does explain his wide variance in performance, right? He can go forty-six in one game, and he can go for ten in another. You know, just days later, because when you're playing with a partially broken wrist, it's all dependent on how you are. You know, how you are feeling that day, and how you got hit that night, or whatever. So Jason Tatum says that he is that he played through a partially broken wrist. <laughs> I do think. We can all agree on one thing, though, right? That Jason Tatum's respect factor and Jason Tatum's toughness meter went a little higher as a result of knowing this information, right? If you're not willing to give him a pass for the poor shooting, I hope you are willing to at least admit that Jason Tatum is not soft. Because the takes after the finals were that he was soft. He's not the alpha. He wasn't that guy. I remember Jake Crane of the Daily Wire's sports arm, right? Jake Crane, he came out, and uh, let's see, June 2nd, he was very critical of Tatum. Like, this is what people were saying. It's become pretty evident that Tatum isn't the alpha on his own team. It's Jalen Brown. Where Tatum looked nervous, Brown looked hungry. When Tatum turned it down, Brown turned it up. And maybe we should start holding Jalen Brown in higher esteem than we do Jason Tatum. Now, some people have made the excuse that Tatum was exhausted. How about Tatum had a broken wrist? How about that? Okay, the takes after are that Tatum's not the alpha, he's not that guy. I hope that the Jake Cranes of the world look at this information now and say, you know what? Guy's pretty tough. I'm not gonna give him a full pass, but guy is pretty tough. And by the way, on Tatum being tired, I just throw this out there because I found the stat. Jason Tatum played the fourth most regular season minutes in the NBA last year. Fourth most regular season minutes. Then you factor in all the playoff minutes. I mean, Jason Tatum played over 3,700 minutes in over 100 games last year. In the era of load management, Jason Tatum played 37 minutes a night on average for over 100 games. That's, I mean, there's something to be said for being tired. And having a broken wrist. So, Tex says it's uh, refreshing to hear Tatum admit he was playing hurt. Something he didn't give away in the postseason. And uh, I agree. The critics who said Tatum was soft or not aggressive enough should apologize tomorrow. They, I agree. 100%. You don't want to write it off. You know, every poor shooting performance. You don't want to give him that benefit of the doubt. Okay, fine. But at least sit here and say and, and admit that you were wrong to call him soft. All right, let's stick with injuries here for a minute. Let's stick with this, and let's talk about the big blow of the weekend, and that was Patriots rookie wide receiver Tyquan Thornton. Tyquan Thornton broke his clavicle. That's a fancy word for collarbone, I believe, and he's out eight to ten weeks with that injury. Number one, that's just bad. You never like to see anybody hurt. Two, that's bad for the Patriots because Thornton was becoming an exciting part of of what they do, and and my brain was kind of running a million miles an hour, thinking of all the ways he could contribute right away in the pass game with his speed and the vertical threat and play action and end arounds in the run game. Like Tyquan Thornton had become exciting. Pass. Game clock at four. Snap to Hoyer. Bouncing right, rolling, rolling, throw to the end zone. Thornton, touchdown, Patriots. Yeah, they grabbed his shoulder. I
1: mean, they grabbed his jersey.
0: I mean, Thornton scored a touchdown in his first preseason game, and I was excited about what he could do. I was looking forward to a deep play action game, Matt going over the top. I was looking forward to some sideline routes where Thornton gets vertical. I was looking forward to seeing him in the slot and come around on the jet sweep. I was looking forward to all of that, and now we're not going to get it at least for a while. Taequann Thornton out eight to ten weeks with that broken clavicle, and not only does this change the conversation around the Patriots' offense, it changes the conversation around the Patriots' roster. Like, this has a huge trickle-down effect, right? I had talked about maybe the Patriots trading Nelson Aguilar. You can't do that now if you're New England. Because you need his speed and his downfield threat. And we saw the 45-yard pass from Mac to Aguilar on Friday night against the Panthers. Like, I thought Tyquan Thornton could do that. Nelson Aguilar needs to stick around because he's got to be the guy to do that. So you're not getting rid of Nelson Aguilar now. You now need him because Thornton's not there to take his place. There had been talk this week about maybe trading Kendrick Bourne. We'll get to that a little later too, but I can't do that. I don't want to trade Kendrick Bourne. I, I So if you're looking to get rid of a receiver, can't do it now. It also probably becomes easier. It definitely becomes easier now for one or two of Trey Nixon, Christian Wilkerson, or a little Jordan Humphrey to make the team. So this injury is a big deal and it has big deal consequences. Your offense changes without Taequann Thornton. Your possibilities are more limited and your roster changes. Also your roster conversation changes. Aguilar stays born stays. As far as I'm concerned, then Nixon, Humphrey, they all, they could both be on the roster. Wilkerson could be on the roster. So this has real implications. And I'm just disappointed, man. I really wanted to see Tyquan Thornton come out and establish himself early. He's an exciting player, great speed, but he was also garnering attention for his route running. And I was just excited about the possibility of the ball being in in his hands as much as possible. And, it just stinks that you're not going to be able to see those elements of the Patriots' offense. Without him, Aguilar becomes your only deep threat. Bourne and Jonu Smith are back to being your primary gadget, guys. It's just a different element now without Thornton, and you lose kind of the element of surprise with him not being there. And on a more macro note also, I think it's going to be really hard for the Patriots to get Tyquan Thornton involved this year, period. Even though he's not going to be out the entire season, it's just hard, especially in New England, for a young wide receiver to come in midseason and to assimilate. Like I think Tyquan Thornton's going to kind of get left in the dust this year. I don't want to compare the two players, but you saw how hard it was for Nikhil Harry when he got injured in preseason of his rookie year, Remember? First preseason game for Nikhil Harry against the Lions. Injured, it was either shoulder or ankle, I believe. He was injured in so many different ways. I think it was shoulder. So Harry gets hurt, and that was it for him. He never was able to get on the same page as Tom Brady. He just got left behind. Now, Mac is not Brady, and I think Mac can do a little bit better job at keeping Thornton in the fold, but you see how quickly things can snowball. Right, Harry never caught up. Cam Newton, when he, he missed one game for COVID, and he said, I never felt like I caught back up. Tyquan Thornton is not just going to easily step in in week eight or whatever and be the guy that I want him to be. He's probably going to get left behind to some degree, and that's disappointing here in his rookie season. It's the Brady Farkas show on WDEV, AM and FM and wdevradio.com. I mean Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston, remember him? He was talking about Thornton after the preseason opener and how excited he was. What's cool about him I think is the fact that he has Absurd speed, Bethel Johnson-like speed, but he doesn't use it immediately. He changes pace, as you saw with that little hop-step start. That reminds me a lot of Troy Brown. Yeah. That's how Troy started every single route, a little hop, same with Edelman. And if you can employ that and also accelerate my crack friend Amina mm-hmm. at a ridiculous clip so that your 10 yards, and
1: it seems to me like his first 10 yards are just electric.
0: Yeah, and we're not going to get to see it now. It changes the Patriots' offense now, and it changes the trajectory of Thornton's season. I think that is a big loss. All right, let's get to the big, interesting gossip of the weekend from the NFL front. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Mac Jones... Good Lord. Mel Kuyper's got to slow down on this. Mac Jones ain't going to work, folks. It's not going to work. He's got to come to terms with it. It's not going to work. They really said that?
1: Every damn thing is politics and race. And I'm losing my mind over it.
0: It's time for Who's Saying What on
1: the Brady Parker Show on WDEBAM, FM, and WDEBradio.com.
0: Who's saying what? Brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash here on the Brady Farkas Show. It's all. uh, Vermont Laser Wash is Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes beginning at just $20 a month. If you want one free car wash, the listeners just need to text the word Vermont to 30 and then 400. So $20 a month unlimited. One free one, text the word Vermont to 30 and then 400. So the big sports gossip of the weekend is uh, UFC president Dana White. He was out this weekend working with Gronk at the UFC's most recent event. And Dana White told a story about Tom Brady almost ending up with the Raiders in 2020.
1: I worked to put that deal together for
0: Brady and Gronk to come to the Raiders. And it was almost a done deal. And at the last minute, Gruden blew the deal up and said that he didn't want him. And whoa, whoa, all hell broke loose, man! It was crazy, and 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 Brady was already
1: looking at houses, and it wasn't being said yet that Gronk was coming. So Las Vegas
0: would have had Brady and Gronk the year that the Bucs won the Super Bowl, except Gruden blew the deal up. So Gronk confirmed that story, and so Gronk was he, he confirmed it now. I assume they're telling the truth because I understand that UFC is a big television production. So some people out there are going to think it's ratings driven and be cynical. Gronk doesn't work for the UFC, so he doesn't have to play on board with any gimmick or whatever. So I believe that Dana White is telling the truth that there is at least some degree of interest there on the part of Brady to go to the Raiders. So that's the story. Let's kind of look at it from a few angles here. I'll be honest with you. Sports radio and television have been talking about this story all day. I'm really not that interested in it. Because whether Brady wanted to play for the Bucks or the Dolphins or the Raiders or whoever, the 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 main story to me remains the same. He didn't want to play in New England. That is all that matters. So I don't really care where he wanted to play or where he almost went or where he had a backroom handshake deal done. None of that matters to me. All that matters, he didn't want to play for the Patriots. The relationship between Belichick and Brady was soured enough. The relationship between the franchise and Brady was soured enough that he no longer wanted to be there. That's all we really need to know. It doesn't really matter who she wants to date. The bottom line is she doesn't want to date you. That's all I really care about. So, like this report, everybody's spending all day on this. I'm not blown away by this report at all. Okay, he wanted to go somewhere other than New England. That's the story. Again, Tampa, Seattle, Arizona, none of it matters to me. He just didn't want to be in New England. That remains the story. Now, Going to the Raiders would have been more interesting than Tampa, right? It would have had more tentacles. The two teams met in the 2020 COVID year in New England, so we could have had the Brady-Patriots reunion in Foxborough with no fans. That would have been interesting. We could have seen these two teams potentially meeting in the playoffs. Both the Patriots and Raiders made the playoffs last season. So being in the AFC would have been more interesting than him going to Tampa like he did, but I'm not really dissecting this whole thing. He didn't want to play in New England. That's all that matters. And also, I will say, while I do believe this, I do believe that there was at least a degree of interest from Brady in in Vegas. I'm really surprised that Brady would have wanted to be in Vegas. Like, I can't really figure out the appeal. Tom Brady, like, he's got a place in Florida with Giselle. Vegas is not near that. Giselle is from South America. Vegas is not near that. Brady's parents are in California, and certainly Vegas is closer to California, but he could have played for the Chargers and still been in California. He could have tried to get to the Niners like we talked about and gotten to California and be closer to his family. So I don't think it's just proximity to family. And then I remain shocked at the idea that Tom Brady wanted to go into an AFC West featuring Patrick Mahomes. Even though Brady ended up beating Mahomes in the Super Bowl, it just strikes me as odd that Tom Brady would have wanted to willingly put himself into a division with Mahomes. The NFC South that he went to with an aging Matt Ryan and an aging Drew Brees and the Panthers being awful, that was a division that was much more winnable. That always made sense. Going to Tennessee, like we talked about, Okay, where the Colts at the time were garbage coming off Andrew Luck retiring and the Jaguars are the Jags. And, uh, like that was a winnable division. Pl- going to the Titans was a very winnable division. The Texans, you know, the, okay, they had Deshaun Watson at the time and we didn't know exactly what was going to happen with him. Like we didn't know what was happening yet with him. But again, the AFC South was more winnable, I think, than the AFC West. So I, I'm, I, I do believe it. But I'm surprised that Brady would have wanted to go into uh, into that division. Uh, Steven and says, what influence could the UFC guy Dana White have? It's a good question. Dana White is a powerful guy in sports. He's actually a Boston guy. So I believe he grew up a Patriots fan, if I'm not remembering correctly. So it is very, very plausible that he, Brady, and Gronk know each other. Right? That's absolutely plausible. That he Brady and Gronk know each other and have a relationship through New England connections. That I could, I think that connection is easy for me to see. As for what influence Brady would have, well, or think about this: all the big, not all of them, but a lot of the big fights for the UFC are in Vegas. So Dana White undoubtedly has connections in Vegas. So it's very easily that he could have been hobnobbing at some event with Raiders ownership or with agents or whatever. So. Dana White kind of makes sense as a middleman. Now, I don't know that Dana White's not just like, hey, I was at the hotel bar the other day, and I was next to Mark Davis, and I mentioned we should get Tom Brady. And that's what he's saying. I don't know the level of this. But I do believe that Brady had an interest. How far Dana White was able to really take it, that I don't know. But I believe that Brady had an interest. But I am surprised at the level of reported interest, given that... It's in the division with Mahomes, and it's not necessarily in their family. On the one funny thing, by the way, there is one funny note to this. Remember last summer, Tom Brady was on LeBron James's production there, The Barber Shop, right? Where they sit down at the barber shop and just a bunch of guys talking shop. So Tom Brady was on that show and he was talking about his free agent recruitment.
2: One of the teams, and they weren't interested at the very end. I was thinking, you're sticking with that mother?
0: So there's Brady saying there was a team that wanted to stick with their guy. And Brady's like, you're really sticking with that guy? Well, maybe that guy is Derek Carr. Right? Like, maybe Tom Brady's saying Derek Carr is that guy. I always thought that it was Ryan Tannehill. I always thought the Brady to Tennessee link was pretty strong. Division was winnable. Knows Mike Vrabel, who's the head coach. I always thought that 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 guy. One of the teams, they weren't interested at the very end. I was thinking, you're sticking with that mother. <laughs> I always thought that guy he's talking about was Tannehill. In wake of the Dolphins news, maybe that guy was Tua. But maybe it was Derek Carr. It's possible. Like all of this is possible, Gronk confirmed it, and I don't think Gronk just had to go along with a bit. So, the fact that Gronk confirmed it again makes me believe it more. But the real story—don't you know? Don't uh, lose sight of it—is that Brady didn't want to, or that yeah, Brady did not want to play in New England. Uh, as for Dana White, he was born in Connecticut. He graduated from high school in Maine. He went to college a couple of different times, and uh, both of them were in Boston. Spent many years in, uh, in Ware, Massachusetts. He claims he left Boston. So he was in Boston. So, I mean, Dana White is a New England guy. Makes perfect sense that he, Brady, and Gronk would all know each other. He's got Vegas influence. It would make perfect sense that he could get people's ear in Vegas. Beyond that, not really sure. But I do believe there was a level of interest. So there is your... Sports uh, gossip for the day. Texter says, uh, always thought it was Tua Brady was talking about. Maybe Jimmy Garoppolo. I never thought it was Derek Carr. I think based on all of this, it probably was now. I just can't imagine why Brady would have wanted to play for Tom, uh, for John Gruden. I, I think that Tom Brady probably just thought... Like, I think he probably just wanted to go somewhere that he felt had a good roster and that was convenient for him. I don't know that the coach really mattered. right? Like Bruce Arians proved to be kind of difficult for Tom Brady to work with. I, so I don't think it was about the coach. It was about what's my roster like? Is the division winnable? And then is there something that makes my family life better? I never got that stuff from Vegas, so that's why this kind of surprised me. I always thought Tennessee was the spot uh, if it wasn't New England. So, but again, the story is the story. Brady didn't want to be here. That's all that really matters. It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Remember, forty five minutes ago when I played the audio cut of John Tomasi saying the Orioles were in a much better and uh, in a much better spot than the Red Sox moving forward. My question is this. Do you wish the Red Sox had just torn it all down, had just torn the organization to the studs like Baltimore did? Do you think they should have done that? We'll debate it next on DEV.
1: Six. Now it's back with Brady Parker show on WDEV AM, FM, and (laughs) WDEBradio.com.
0: Welcome back in Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV radio.com show is brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training that's Pro driver Training online at ProDriverCDL.com they are Vermont's most premier truck driver training school question for the Napa Morrisville Napa Waterbury text line 802-585-3026 actually I want to start with this first remember the audio clip we played at the outset of the show from John Tomasi of NBC Sports Boston. I want you to listen to this again.
1: I have some very bad news for Red Sox fans. Uh, I'm sure you remember the 2015 Astros. That was a team that had lost 100 games for a bunch of seasons in a row. They came out of nowhere to make the playoffs. behind Jose Altuve and Carlos Correa and guys who were just getting to the big leagues. Two years later, they won the World Series. There is a very good chance that that is what the Orioles are right now. Uh, They are that far ahead of you, in. Building a franchise. That gap is only going to widen. This may be the closest you are to the freaking Orioles for the next two, three, four years.
0: So Tomasi says the Orioles are lapping you in their organizational building, right? And, they, and the Orioles tore it all the way down, right? The Orioles were awful for a number of years. They were a team that was in the AL playoffs a couple of years in a row. They were really good for like a five-year period with Buck Walter. Then they tore it down to the bone. And we've seen other teams do that. Houston did that. And they won the World Series before. The Cubs did that, and they won the World Series. Seattle has done that. The White Sox have done that. Toronto has done that. So my question is for you, do you wish at some point the Red Sox had done that? Do you wish the Red Sox had gone through some massive organizational rebuild they're frustrating right now they're kind of stuck in the middle do you think they had pulled an orioles or a mariners or a, what the nationals are doing right now do you wish they had pulled that kind of that kind of move and i'll go back to when high and bloom got here let's just start there when high and bloom got here right so 2018 red sox won the world series 2019, they run it back and they underachieve and win 83 games and don't make the playoffs and they fire Dave Dombrowski. Do you wish at that point, starting the 2020 season, that the Red Sox just blew it all out? Okay, it would have involved trading Mookie Betts as they did, it would have involved trading Chris Sale. Prior to us knowing that he needed Tommy John surgery, but would have involved trading Chris Sale. It would have involved traded Xander Bogarts. Maybe Raphael Devers, although I could see them holding on to him like the Nationals held on till Soto till the end. It would have involved them, involved them trading everybody. Okay. The team that won you the World Series, Christian Vasquez, Mitch Moreland, all of those guys, Andrew Benintendi, all of those guys would have been gone. Jackie Bradley Jr. Do you wish the Red Sox had done that? Because that is what the Orioles did. So Tomasi is waxing poetic about what the Orioles have done. Do you wish that had been the Red Sox? I've thought a lot about that. And as frustrating as the Red Sox are right now, I don't. I, I am glad the Red Sox did not go down that path. Ultimately, I think Haim Bloom made the right choice. But again... It underscores something that I have said for a year now. It is a very difficult thing trying to do both win and rebuild at the same time. It is very, very hard. Usually, if you are all in to win now, your future is in trouble. Usually, if you are all in on the future, your now is in trouble. I'm Bloom, I appreciate what he has tried to do it hasn't necessarily worked but i appreciate the red sox have tried to thread that needle because the building process that the orioles have gone through is incredibly painful the orioles have been building for five and seven years and losing a hundred games Their over under win total in vegas this year was 62 games it is painful To see your team be that bad, the White Sox were awful for three years. My Mariners were horrific for three years. The Padres had nine consecutive losing seasons before they recently started going on their spending and acquiring binge. I didn't want that to be the Red Sox. Red Sox, look, 2021, they made the ALCS. This year, they've underwhelmed. It is hard, but I will take the ups and downs of the last two years over the pain of a full-scale rebuild. Because once you, do, once you go down that road, there is no turning back. The Washington Nationals are going to be bad for the next five years at least. That is what a total teardown is. The Nationals won the World Series in 2000. 2019, right? 2019, the Nationals won the World Series. Max Scherzer, gone. Juan Soto, gone. Now Josh Bell, gone. They had Kyle Schwarber, gone. Like The Nationals are going to be awful for a really long time. I'm glad the Red Sox didn't do that. So when John Tomasi says, hey, the Orioles are in such a great spot, they're headed there. But the road they've taken is not a road that I want to have traveled. I am Bloom. I appreciate what he's tried to do. He has built and tried to win at the same time. And it hasn't worked out to winning the World Series. But it has given us fun and representative baseball for two years now. And as I told you at the beginning of the show, I believe there is a path out of this for the Red Sox. They do have prospects now. They do have young players. They do have the ability to spend. They do have the ability to uh, to go make trades. Now Dean says hashtag fireheim. I'm having seen the Red Sox this past weekend in Baltimore, the Red Sox stink. Well, Dean, Trevor Story has been out for a while now. Raphael Devers has been. Had, had been hurt and is not the same as hitting 180 in the last 30 days. Pitching staff has been injured. I, I, I wish that the Red Sox had sold off at the deadline. I think High and Bloom handled the deadline wrong. But Hyam Bloom did not sign Chris Sale. High and Bloom did not sign Nathan Nivaldi, And Heian Bloom did not sign JD Martinez. And he did not give Xander Bogarts an extension. So all these guys that are underachieving and are injured, High and Bloom did not sign a lot of them. So it is not not all Heian Bloom's fault. I have, by the way, what I believe, I'm very curious. Here we go. Matt and Bolton kind of leads me into my next point. He says, I hope the Red Sox sign Xander and Devers. They need to. I 1,000% agree the Red Sox need to re-sign Rafael Devers, 1,000%. But I am very curious about what the Red Sox come back to the table with for Xander Bogarts. I believe the Red Sox are going to go to Bogarts and make him another offer. I'm very curious as to what that will look like. Just for a refresher, Xander Bogarts has three years and $60 million left on his contract. He hasn't opt out. We all expect him to opt out. So we expect there to be a new deal that needs to get signed. But remember earlier in the year, when we all laughed at High and Bloom for offering Xander Bogarts a one-year, thirty-million-dollar extension, so basically he wanted to take that three and sixty to four for ninety. Remember when we all laughed at that? My question is, what exactly are the Red Sox going to come back with now? Because to be honest, Xander Bogarts hasn't played much better than a four for $90 million contract. And by the way, the track record on older players getting huge dollars isn't great. Trevor Story, <clears throat> Marcus Simeon, <clears throat> like they haven't had exactly very good years. So maybe, maybe for all the crushing we did of High and Bloom, maybe his valuation was right. Four years, $90 million. Is kind of what Xander Bogarts is playing like right now. He's got 10 home runs. He's got 50 RBIs. He isn't having a great year. He's hitting 299. But we know his defense isn't isn't perfect at shortstop. Maybe that four-year $90 million is not as insulting as it once was. So what exactly does Haim Bloom come back with this offseason? I said as recently as last week. I would give Xander Bogarts five years for $150 million and not hesitate. But you know what? I'm starting to hesitate now. Xander Bogarts does not look like a five-year, $30 million a year player. He just doesn't. That said, I believe that I have the best scenario for the Red Sox and Xander Bogarts. I believe that I have the perfect contract structure here. If you want to keep Xander Bogarts, I believe I've got the deal. I would offer Bogarts, okay, they offered him the four for 90. I would give Xander Bogarts essentially the J.D. Martinez contract. I would offer Xander Bogarts five years for one hundred and twenty million. dollars, And I would give him opt-outs after year two, after year three, and after year four. That is the contract solution I would offer Bogarts. And to me, it seems like it would be perfect on all sides. Let's start with Bogarts. One, he gets a five-year deal. Xander Bogarts gets a full protection for five years. If he gets hurt or if he is bad, he gets five years, $120 million. That could carry him through a lot of the rest of his career if he wants it to. So from Bogarts' perspective, he is protected. It also gives him ample opportunity to hit the market again if he wants a big payday. If Xander Bogarts comes back after the first two years of my contract and dominates, he hits 300 and he hits 25 home runs each year and he's driving in 110. If he wants to hit the market again at 32 years old, he can. I offer Xander five for 120. After two years, he'd have three years and $72 million left on his deal. If he wants to opt out after year two, and try to get more than three for 72, then so be it. That gives him all the financial flexibility to go chase a big payday. When he's got two years and 48 million left, if he wants to opt out then to try to get better than 248, then fine. It it protects Bogart's long term. It gives him ample chances to try to strike it really rich one more time. And even if he stayed for all five years, he'd still hit the market again at 35 years old and have another run at free agency anyways. There's financial flexibility and financial freedom for Bogarts under my proposal. And for the Red Sox, they win also. The Red Sox give him 120, not the 150 or the 175 or the 200 we were thinking it would be. The Red Sox still save Significant money. They were already willing to give him four for ninety. I'm asking you to tack on one more year, you know, and another thirty million dollars. The Red Sox saves some money. 120 is a lot less than 150, 175, or two hundred. Red Sox five for 120 is $24 million a year. That is a little bit more than what Trevor Story got from the team. So Xander gets. Five years, he gets respect. He gets $120 million, which is a lot. He gets more money annually than story got, which again, reamplifies that respect. And in the in, in the court of public opinion, the Red Sox win also. You bring back the franchise favorite. And if he takes one of the ops outs in the future, he's the guy who made the decision. And you don't look like you forced him out. This, to me, is the best of both worlds. The Red Sox retain a good player. They're not crushed by thirty million to $35 million a year contracts. Bogarts gets long-term security and short-term financial flexibility. He gets more money than story annually. This, to me, is a win. Is everybody on board? Five for 120, opt-outs after years two, three, and four. J.D. Martinez got five for 110 opt-outs after years two, three, and four. I'd give Xander Bogarts the same thing but a little more money. That, to me, is the deal. Tex says, would Heim and company pr- uh, pursue Carlos Correa, who has an opt-out? Yeah. I think they could. I told you all along. Sign Devers and sign one more big piece. I want it to be Bogarts, but it could be anybody else. They need to make two big moves. Jesse and Pittsfield, Xander and Devers are going to go to the team that pays the most. I'm not convinced that Red Sox ownership is going to write that check. Do I want, seriously, do I want Xander Bogarts if it's going to take the biggest check? Ask yourself that question. Xander Bogarts is a great Red Sox player. He's a champion. He's got 10 home runs and 50 RBIs. If it takes seven years and 190 million, if that's the biggest check, are you doing it? Do you want, is that good business? Five for 120, I just identified could be good business for both parties. Seven for 185 isn't good business for this kind of production. It's just not. Devers, I think you are going to have to bid. And I think you might have to overbid a little more than you want to. But I would do it because he's 25 years old. Xander Bogarts, I am not going to just beat the room to keep Bogarts. He has not been good enough now to do that. I love him. He's great. But five for 120 works for both parties. Seven for 185. That doesn't work for me. Not now. Not after this season. Maybe it would have in March. Not now. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. A couple more things on the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line. Uh, Yeah, Kyle says they think the Red Sox are going to be better next year because of the different schedule. Yeah, we covered that in hour number one, but I think that is a really good point. Uh, I want to wrap up the show next. Speaking of all this maneuvering here, roster maneuvering. The Patriots reportedly are talking about maybe trading two of their guys. I'll tell you why both of them would be a mistake. That's next on DEB. Back in Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Remember, full show podcast available always after the show ends. We get it up in about 15 minutes on our podcast channel on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. No guests today just rolling through here on a Monday. I don't know if you saw this report, but the Patriots reportedly are talking with teams about trading left tackle or now I guess this year right tackle, but trading offensive tackle Isaiah Wynn. And they've also gotten calls about Kendrick Bourne. So neither Win or Bourne played in the preseason game on Friday. There was a thought that it was disciplinary-wise for both players. Remember, Bourne got thrown out of practice last week, and then reports were that Win did not practice well, so he was just kind of being punished. Then we hear today Wynn is being talked about in, trademark, in trade talks, and Bourne's teams have called on him. Patriots are tight against the salary cap, so there is thought they want to free up some money. Trading either of Kendrick Bourne or Isaiah Wynn would be an awful move for the Patriots. I do not know how many times I have to say this. When you have a young quarterback, the goal is to prop him up. It is not to cut his legs out from under him. Mac Jones needs support. Mac Jones needs help. You cannot diminish his roster even further. Mac Jones has already lost Taekwon Thornton to injury now for eight to 10 weeks. I cannot risk I cannot lose Kendrick Bourne also. And by the way, Kendrick Bourne was this team's best receiver a year ago, at least in terms of big playability. Jacoby Myers is always my guy, but Kendrick Bourne was the guy last year for Mac Jones. You've already lost Taekwon Thornton. You cannot trade away. Kendrick Bourne. And also, this team already questionably traded away offensive lineman Shaq Mason in the offseason. You now cannot trade away Isaiah Wynn also. I know he's been frustrating in his tenure. I know he's been injured a lot. Offensive linemen in the pro game do not grow on trees. You never have enough. Apparently, Bill Belichick thinks, hey, we've got a surplus so we can just move on from them. You cannot do that because the minute you trade away Mason and Wynn, you're going to be left with then three guys on your line getting injured. You need as much depth as possible on the offensive line. Mac Jones needs this organization's help and trading away Isaiah Wynn and Kendrick Bourne or one of them would not be giving that to him. I want the Patriots to go back to the playoffs. I've said I think they're between a seven and... I think they're a seven or an eight-win team. I don't think they're going to have as many wins as last year. I want to be wrong. If the Patriots make personnel decisions like this, you're making it much easier for me to be right. Kendrick Bourne is valuable to this team. He's a security blanket for Mac Jones. He's insurance in case Nelson Aguilar gets injured, which he's done a lot. He's insurance in case... Um, uh, Devontae Parker gets injured which he's done a lot Isaiah Wynn is there, he might be a starter and if he's not, he's certainly insurance for Trent Brown who's been hurt a lot in his career the Patriots, just because you think you have excess wideouts and excess offensive linemen you cannot move them Mac Jones needs your help he needs your support he does not need his support system gutted and that's what making these moves would be That's going to do it for us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. No Red Sox baseball tonight. Jazz with George Thomas is coming up next, 7 until 9. And then it is Eye on the World with John Batchelor. Go download the podcast. Thanks to all the texters who got in today. We'll see you back at it tomorrow before Red Sox and Blue Jays. here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM.